Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The district attorney of Shasta County has decided the utility Pacific Gas and Electric is criminally liable for causing last year's Zog fire. That blaze killed four people and destroyed more than 200 homes. But DA Stephanie Bridget has not said what exact charges she'll bring against the utility giant. In a statement, PG&E says it's continuing to negotiate settlements with individual victims of the Zog fire and does not agree with the decision that criminal charges are warranted. Last year, the company's then-chief executive entered guilty pleas for 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter and acknowledged criminal liability for causing 2018's campfire. That blaze was the deadliest and most destructive fire in state history. This year's California fire season is off to a fast start, outpacing 2020, which was the worst year on record. Cap Radio Scott Rod reports. Wildfires have burned over 480,000 acres in California so far this year. That's about four times the total during the same time last year. That's led some experts to fear that 2021 could be the most active fire season on record, surpassing the historic 4.3 million acres burned in 2020. There are several major fires active in the state right now. The Dixie Fire, burning in Butte and Plumas counties, is currently the 13th largest fire in state history. Utility PG&E says its equipment may have started the fire, though the cause remains under investigation. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Because of the drought, the top environmental issue on the minds of Californians is water and how much there is of it. KQED's Kevin Stark reports. Roughly two-thirds of adults say water supply and drought are big problems in this state, up from about a third last July. That's according to the Public Policy Institute of California's annual summer survey, which looks at public opinion on environmental issues. Californians' view of Governor Newsom's environmental policy has dipped some, although it remains high, with 6 out of 10 adults approving, down from 7. A little more than half of respondents say they only have some confidence in the government's readiness to respond to wildfire. Across party lines, Californians agree overwhelmingly that the use of solar, wind, and other alternative energy sources should be expanded over fossil fuels. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's turn to the Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo. Gymnast Sunisa Lee has become the first Hmong American to win gold for Team USA. And as Lee's hometown in Minnesota cheered her on, Valley Public Radio's Carrie Klein reports the San Joaquin Valley was watching as well. Jerry Yang Johnson of Fresno has never met Sunisa Lee, but as a fellow Hmong American, she says Lee feels like a little sister. That's why she got up at 3.45 a.m. on Thursday to watch Lee compete. All of Hmong America was up early this morning cheering her on and cheering Team USA on in gymnastics. Yang Johnson says Lee has also been an inspiration for her two-year-old daughter. She wants the braid with the bun in the morning. She says she wants Sunisa hair. (laughs) She's going around telling people that she's in gymnastics, even though she's not. Long Zhang says his phone has been blowing up all day with messages about Lee. Fifteen years ago, Zhang himself made history as the first city council member of Hmong descent in Fresno and the state. We're very proud of her to to see how, how far our community has come from you know, being here in this country, uh, coming here 40, a little bit over 40 years ago uh, as a refugee community. 18-year-old Sunisa Lee was also the first Hmong American to ever make the U.S. Olympic team. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. As we enter the second week of Olympic competition in Tokyo, we continue our series on Californians participating in Japan. The California Report's Lily Jamali spoke with Seijin Madalena, who's on the U.S. Olympic shooting team. Madalena grew up in Groveland, not too far from Yosemite National Park. So Seijin, when did you first get into shooting? I got into shooting around 2009 through 4-H. And also my grandpa taught me about gun safety and handling firearms, but mostly through the 4-H program where I grew up, Groveland, California, and the Jamestown Mother Lobe Gun Club. You did end up having quite a bit of success in college. Did you ever imagine you would make it to the pinnacle of your sport? I did, not to sound like <laughs> um, full of it, but... You got to see it yes, to believe always, it, right? <laughs> yes, I've always had that drive to, no matter what, keep going. To me, actually, the pinnacle of the sport is still... I still haven't touched it yet. It is um, to be the one of the best shooters in the world. This only gives me the opportunity to compete with the best mm. um, going to the Olympics. Uh, That's interesting to hear you say that, because to someone like me, just being at the Olympics, (laughs) that's the pinnacle. But yeah, I hear what you're saying completely. And Sajin, you did try to qualify for the 2016 Olympics, but you missed out. And this last year has been super challenging for everyone. But what has the pandemic meant for you when it comes to training and practicing as you get ready for these games? Was it disappointing to have the games canceled last summer? Well, I think it was a blessing in disguise. At least it was for me, 
because I wasn't at my peak at that point. I have been with the um, Army Marksmanship Unit, so I'm a rather new soldier, two years. But if I subtract a year and if trials were a year before, I was still rusty and getting my muscle memory back down from after basic training. So I wasn't quite prepared then versus now I've had a chance to really ingrain my training back into um, my subconscious and I was more prepared this year than I was last. That was Olympic shooter Sajin Mandalena speaking with my co-host Lily Jamali. Sajin is scheduled to compete in tomorrow's three-position rifle competition. We wish her the very best. This week, our sister show, The California Report Magazine, looks at what the hyper-contagious Delta variant means for California. It's now the most prevalent strain of COVID in the state. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg explains. The news is devastating. The current hotspot is once again Los Angeles, where the county is tallying thousands of cases a day. There's even an uptick in places like San Francisco, where more than 77% of eligible residents are fully vaccinated. Doctors fear Delta is both more transmissible and potentially more potent. Both cases and hospitalizations have more than doubled in the last two weeks. Simultaneously, vaccine rates have slowed or plateaued. Rates are painfully low in some places. For example, only 19% of residents in Lassen County have their shots. Much of the Central Valley hovers around 35%. If that doesn't change, sobering new models suggest the mortality rate could get as bad as last winter. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg in Oakland. And you can hear more about the Delta variant on this week's California Report magazine on this station or wherever you get your podcasts. One of Los Angeles's most extraordinary works of art isn't in a museum or gallery. It's in a flood control channel in the San Fernando Valley. Painted in the 1970s, it's more than a half-mile-long mural called The Great Wall of L.A. It depicts scenes, sometimes painful ones, from California history and people's long, hard struggle for justice. The mural was conceived by pioneering Latina artist Judy Baca, whose getting a lot of renewed attention right now. There's a retrospective of Baca's work at Long Beach's Museum of Latin American Art. Her archives have been acquired by the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, and work has started to expand the Great Wall of L.A. with new murals. Now in her 70s, I met up with Baca at her L.A. studios to discuss her still very active artistic life. You know, I guess I I never really um, related to age you know, I always related to processes, like this project will be finished now and then this other thing will begin. So for my life has been measured more by creative work than it has by numbers. And so I'm rather shocked that I'm the age I am. <laughs> I'm rather shocked that all these years have passed and uh, I expect that I'll just keep going like this as long as I, I have the grace to do it. So is the Judy Baca at your age... Are you pretty similar to the person you were at 22, 23, 24 in terms of your interests, in terms of what you're committed to? Absolutely. Uh, although it's deeper and has greater understanding, there's a certain wisdom that's come from fighting many battles to you know, put forward, for example, the issues of farm workers or to put forward the issues that women face, and uh, not only in the arts but in the, the working world. You know, all of my work has started from realism never really shying away from 
<laughs> the roadkill. I mean, I say I'm a person who looks at roadkill, right? I, I'm interested in seeing what exactly is the problem, right? To see what is real and then become upset about it to the degree that I begin to start proposing solutions. So you aren't someone who, who says the artist, it's okay if the artist is in, lives in splendid isolation in the artist garret and doesn't get his or her hands dirty in the affairs of the world. When's the last time that served an artist? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't really support that thought. And as a, a, a Latina, as a Chicana growing up in Los Angeles, I didn't see that there would be a road for me, even if I could manage that, because there were no models for that. But what I did see was the interaction with my family and my community, and the, how appreciative they were when we transformed an ugly corner into something beautiful. I saw how kids blossomed in the process of being included, that um, I saw the creative process as transformative and, and magical. And why the embrace of muralism so early in your career, and it's been a constant since? What is it that you see in murals that you fell in love with and you're so passionate about to this day? It's the scale. You know, the scale is totally addictive and, you know, amazing to work in. I mean, it, creating something that is larger than yourself is, is an amazing experience. But I would say that the reason I came to muralism had much more to do with community action in terms of people writing on walls and graffiti that was being used in the neighborhoods and uh, in some cases gang territories where people were saying, this is who I hang with, this is where I live, this is how I identify, this is the geography of my land and of my life. And so I got really interested in how that could be transformed into more um, articulate statements. And that became really fascinating to me because if we could connect ourselves to the land and to history, then we could understand the contributions of our families and how we were essential to the building of America. All right, Judy Baca, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for the time. And that's the California Report for Friday, July 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org and Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.